Welcome to Nerd vs. World, episode 51, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Nerd. I'm Brendan. I'm Spindles. And we are joined in the studio today by Alan Stride. Hello. Who we encountered at Nine Worlds. Encountered. encountered. Wonderful. <laughs> Not met. Encountered. Uh, some, some little stranger who loomed <laughs> over you whilst you were sat in a chair. I think we were drawn to your panel. <laughs> By forces unknown. Well, it was one of the few panels that we both went to, I think, yeah, over the weekend, because it was yeah. one of the ones I think we were both like, yeah, we've got to, got to be there for that one. Like, future new media, yeah, we, we've talked about that on the show a few times. Just a couple of times. We should go to this panel <laughs> and see if we're right. Oh, we are, kind of. <laughs> well, of course, we're just going to continue that conversation today somewhat. Sure. So, I think, initially, people who haven't maybe grasped the idea of new media, would it be useful if we set definitions, old media versus new media? Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's always helpful because there are so many ways in which, and I, you know, we said this on the panel, there are so many ways in which people bandy the term around. Mm. And um, unfortunately, um, that that can confuse what you're actually trying to, you know, trying to discuss. Whether you're discussing the, the innovative way technology is used, whether you're discussing the innovative way the technology that is already you know, established is used by people in a slightly different way, or how someone has invented a new form of technology to do something. You know, actually, it it struggles to define itself, doesn't it? And you know, we also have this problem with the fact that the internet is actually now pretty old. Yeah. Um, so to kind of call it new to something that's more than twenty is you know is a bit tricky but that's what we have you know it's the term we have it's the term that people talk about it's the term that um that is accepted parlance um so yeah so i mean you know i'm happy to as as you want to define it really i mean usually from my take it is is about innovative uses of what exists or innovation in terms of uh, new technology. Yeah, I, th- I think I come at it very much from the point of, of creating new technology specifically to be able to do mm. it because I that, guess my, my background is in, in, in software development. So mm. I come at it very much of the, right, the internet is there. How can I best use that? How yeah. can people access stuff remotely, you know, be able to collaborate in an online mm. space, that kind of thing. So it's enabling things online. Um, yeah. One of my friends, Kate Russell, who does BBC Click, um, <clears throat> Kate obviously highlights all sorts of different innovations on the internet, and some of those are, tech, you know, a sort of technological innovation. But some of them are just the way in which somebody has looked at something someone else has invented mm. and applied it in a new context. Yeah. And actually, you know, particularly where we're dealing with um, sort of social interaction and where we're dealing with with people choosing to spend their time, often people inventing different contexts in how they spend their time, you know, inventing different ways to apply different frames and forms is it can be just as innovative or, or just as successful. You know, who knew Angry Birds would work? Absolutely. You know, yeah. and, and, and Flappy Bird. And, 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 one, and yeah. you can't you can't look at that and say there's anything there that hasn't in the majority there isn't most of the things that are appealing are appealing from, you know, in, in many other contexts but they came together in that synergy. Yeah, you know, that. I guess just to kind of go back to the, the kind of historical context of it, for, for, for you kind of, at what point do you think you kind of, you saw something and went, 
wow, that's a whole new way of, of getting that media across. What was the first thing that kind of captured you? Well, I, I, I started... I've been teaching, you know, to give give some background of what I do. I'm a university lecturer who uh, runs the film and television course at Buxton University, and I teach on the, the final year module, which is New Media and Current Trends. And New Media and Current Trends looks at the two aspects, the aspects of um, technological innovation and also the aspect of um, applied innovation with technology that already exists. And where people are going, why they're going there, what has caused a you know a, a change? And I think one one thing that opened my eyes was when I was an undergrad, back in oh way way back, back in the the late nineties, I read a book by Dick Hebditch called Subcultures and the Meaning of Style, and that book charted the the sort of the the ideas of trends, and and it charted the waves of trend. So how punk mm. essentially it was cool while it wasn't mainstream mm. and that was mostly and it's quite a thin book but that was mostly Hebdige's point was that um, stuff prior to the internet was would come at us in waves and it would retain its coolness until such point as everyone thought it was something to do it's like jeans mm. you know jeans lost their cool when everybody wore them um, maybe he says, checking, two pairs of jeans and one pair of cargo pants. Um, but, um, you know, the, that, that to me, that opened my eyes initially. And then when later on, looking at um, Henry Jenkins, who is our, our doyen of convergence and, and sort of tells us sort of all these, these ways in which we live in this converging world where, you know, we're sort of exposed to all different forms of media, that combined with Hebditch... I think when I started to apply the two things, started to see the two things together, um, really made me think, actually, because if you take Hebdige and you, you look at Facebook, that wave that was punk happens in 48 hours now. Mm. That's the difference. Yeah, yeah. You know, trends it, are very, very... Exactly. It's not, just, it's, not, it's not just newspapers and chip paper. It's even down to... Uh, it's even down to an hour, mm-hmm. you know. I guess it's an idea catches and then spreads yeah, like wildfire yeah, really quickly. You know? Absolutely, and and I, I I'm one of those people that remembers stuff, and so you know I did my A levels and we were introduced to the the media effects theories, and you you went through and you had your uses in grats and your hypodermic model and you know and everyone sort of went. You know, hypodermic model. Okay, mm-hmm. there's a panic. You know, some some child is murdered because, and and they blame the media or or something. You know, some uh, kid one, commits suicide and they blame sociological rock music. argument. You yeah, know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And but I, you know, I remember those models, and there were four. You know, not you know the two main ones were always the uses and gratifications and hypodermic model. But actually, there were two others. There was this cultural effect model, which was kind of a bit wishy washy and sort of made you think, yeah, that can apply to anything. There was this one called two-step flow, and I thought it was really interesting, devised in the 60s. And it, it suggested that we have individuals in our society who are gatekeepers to us, and those individuals tell us what to believe, tell us what to watch, tell us what to think, and we then go and do it because we value those individuals more than others. 
And and you kind of go, you know what, that falls apart a little bit, you know, in general society, or at least, you know, when, when we examined at the time, it, it did. But then you looked at people in positions of authority, you looked at teachers, you looked at, you know, sort of community leaders, and you thought, well, there's something there. And then you start thinking about that model applied to social media. The cultural icons. Uh, or just your mate who puts mm. a video and it appears on your feed. Mm. And when you start seeing it, rather than just being a triangle, i.e. one person sharing to you too, uh, it's actually not that. You, it, it, it's, a, it's a reciprocal triangle, as in it rotates. Mm. Because that one person, it's not just about that one person being the superior, the gatekeeper. There might be that in that moment, but then it rotates, and then you share something, and then it rotates, and someone else shares something. And actually, you have almost like spinning triangles, mm. and you know, and that, that, you know, this was a dismissed nineteen sixties communications theory of media effects. To see it have new life when you examine modern social media is just. It's just fascinating. Mm, that, yeah. that to me is just suddenly I'm I'm like, the, you know, whoever devised that would never have thought that society would change in this way. Mm. Body, yes, which I think is really interesting. So the gatekeepers are kind of like cultural nodes, then, aren't they? Yeah, um, I think I think the the idea of you only place authority in people, or people only only achieve authority based on your choice to invest in them it's like money you know when you look at when you look at uh, uh, you know at notes uh, with a 10 pound note i promise to pay the bearer 10 pounds you know the promissory note we, we, we kind of you know that that's sort of an, an old hat trick to to play on students but at, at the same time i think it it speaks to the idea of um investing authority in figures and I think we do that but I don't think that we do it in the way in which it was thought that we did it that there were these Pied Pipers taking us off to wherever you know here there and everywhere because our modern society is 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 evolving is moving all the time it is so active that actually you can't sort of delineate that there is an individual who tells you to jump in the oven and you jump in the oven that said, you know, there are still um, icons in relation to that. And, you know, behavior does, um, does alter in that way. Social media has created its champions, has created its celebrities. Mm. You know, we can kind of look at YouTube and think back over YouTube's yeah, sort of time. You see less YouTube, YouTube celebrity than you, do, than you did. Yeah. But you still see movements that come from individuals and mass movements that come from individuals because they hit something at a particular time. Um, everyone knows that you get a retweet from Stephen Fry. Mm. You yeah. are probably going to do well on what you... I mean, this weekend. Um, did either of you read the Jonathan Joyce article on Terry Pratchett? I responded to it. Right, okay. <laughs> did you see my reply to it? Okay, right. So you saw my dear Jonathan and uh, and the... Uh, and what then happened, and that was hilarious. That was my Sunday was taken up with pings on the iPad every time somebody retweeted or favorited that article. Mm. Because, um, you know, the that just by, you know, all I did is sit down and, and decide to put that on the Guardian comments. 
and decide to go a slightly different way to everybody else because yeah. you know you can you you could sort of argue with him on the level and try and be you know intellectual and I thought you know what I'm going to satirize it because mm. I knew Terry and actually mm. I think Terry would appreciate that yeah, so absolutely. you know that's something that uh, and it was you know it was quite cutting but you know what are you going to do and the guardian got rid of it and actually yeah. that made it even better <laughs> so it was you know now i'm now i have a you know i've achieved a life goal the guardian have deleted a comment you know that i have made on their you know on their, their, but their special persons one of the guardian another guardian journalist or blogger retweeted your post with your screenshot of your comment yes yeah. yes <laughs> which, I, which I thought was hilarious. Well, there was yeah, it was it was all very interesting in that you know there was then there was a rebuttal written by another blogger and I I got into a little bit of a correspondence with him and I was quite conscious when I did that I didn't want him to say anything that would put him in a difficult situation because yeah. mm. he was he he intellectually rebuffed Jonathan Joyce and that's fine. Yeah. But for him then to, in any way, endorse me, you know, when 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 the newspaper had decided to get rid of my, co- you know, so I I was a bit careful, but that was very funny, yeah. and I mean that's you know that's 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 down to individuals, and it does demonstrate a little bit how this this world we live in, you know, this world of social media that that occurs around us, is evolving all the time and changes and you know and the rules are not necessarily as as fixed or as you know constrained and that's that's what's beautiful about mm. it you know it breaks out it you know populates it feeds i guess you know, at what point do you think that traditional media tried to kind of establish a presence online because I, th- I think there was, for me what i saw was a point where traditional media went, all oh, right, okay, we've got to have a part of this online thing and we've still got to do it in the same way we did the old thing. Well, that's every online newspaper. <clears throat> yeah, I think they're still trying. They're yeah. still trying. Um, I think the BBC saw Reuters. I think when the BBC saw what Reuters do, and that wasn't just about Reuters' online presence. That was also about the way in which Reuters empowered people who were local to regions. And... Um, you know, they they brought they brought reporting that was connected rather than disconnected, and actually the BBC there is a problem there, and there is a problem that I think we are now starting to see. I think this is very interesting right now, particularly with the the Labour election, with the Labour leadership election, um, because the BBC have gone into editorial and editorialisation, and you you are spending quite a lot of time where articles are being presented to you and you're being told how to think about them mm. before the information is given to you and that particularly that that you know that 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 sort of raised itself um, as a as a practice during the financial crisis and let let's let's you know let's be plain robert peston's work on on you know sort of explaining understanding you know giving people translating some of the elements that are there was excellent you know and i i you know i at the time it was quite interesting at the time i was doing a um a module in financial management on a uh, a diploma in in management study studies and i was learning about gearing learning how you sell debt at the point <laughs> that we had the financial it's like this stuff is 
balmy. Why would you do that? How is debt a commodity? Um, but that editorialization is something that we have a generation of people who have grown up with it. And they aren't necessarily as used to the dissemination and delineation between these. this is the information and this is the view of the information. Yeah. So they see the frame along with the content. And that actually spills into social media in the way in which they then discuss. So you see an awful lot of discussion that is connected to the opinion that is being placed. And this is why it's, it's so poignant right now, because now we are, certainly with the, you know, I, I, think, I think it's uh, fair to say, with the, the Labour leadership election, you are seeing that those frames and those rituals and those tropes and those ropes that people use being reframed because you have a candidate who doesn't play the soundbite game. No. And that's really, really interesting because, you know, when, when you then have a discussion with people and they say, oh, he should be more media savvy, and you're like, you know what? No, he shouldn't because he's anti-media savvy. And that's the point. It's why people like him. And that's kind of then drawing from the trends argument and sort of taking us towards why, you know, uh, why people are, are going the way in which they're going they're you know they're sort of i th- i think as a as a mob as a as a you know if you if you see a crowd of people generally if you view them as a crowd you view them as not being that intelligent when you view them as individuals they they damn well are and even perhaps the person who got the lowest gcse grades in that crowd still has enough sense to know what's actually going to affect them and what is just a platitude and that's where i think we're seeing an exciting consciousness start to come through there related to that and you know in social media you know we're in a world where we can debate these issues in so many different levels which i you know whether it's about um literary snobbery or it's about stuff that means something to you know, to the future of the country. Actually, there's there's so many things that we can sort of play around with. But there is a danger there as well, I think, in that most people, especially on the the, the Corbyn issue, are taking their entire knowledge from a meme. So you have picture memes with simple messages, which sometimes don't get the context right at all, and that's becoming somebody else's basis for their view. Mm. So. Yes, the message is getting spread. Yes, people are getting involved, but not everyone is inf- is informed to the same level. Newsflash for you: yeah. it's been happening for, for centuries. Yeah, yeah. True. Okay, so, yeah. you know, just because you can see yeah. it now, yeah, yeah. you can now see it happening, and you can you can understand the mechanics, yeah. and you can watch it in front of you like a you know, it is like a little bit like watching a car crash because yeah. you're looking at it going. Why are you so uninformed? Yeah. Yes, people have been doing that all their lives. And I, I, I kind of, you know, and that's not me being superior in that I, I have a bit of a rule in that I try not to talk about things. And I, I, I'm guilty of doing it sometimes. 
I try not to talk about things I know nothing about. Yeah. If you ask me about car engines, I try and walk away from the conversation. But there are ways in which people will engage you in a conversation that you end up talking about it. Yeah. And, you know, and that has happened the world over. And if you take that example and you flip it, and you flip it towards um, some of the things that you know that uh, express themselves in the pastimes and interests that we have. Chomsky in the 1980s said, "Sport is the opiate of the people," and what he said, and that was in in manufacturing consent. What he said was connected to the American press, and was the idea that the American press were putting more column inches into sports coverage and sports celebrity and and everything else. Than they were into actual politics right. because what they're doing is trying to make sure people, you know, his his argument is that it's a distraction that you know that that yeah, essentially you spend more time caring about your distraction than you do about the things that will affect your life. And that was the eighties. Yeah, so that was manufacturing consent. Yeah, Nineteen eighty-seven might have so been. That's that's Reagan era America. So yeah, exactly. That's exactly yeah. Chom- doing it. Noam Chomsky, incredible uh, U.S. theorist. Yeah. He's uh, you know, I mean, he's he's been writing for a long time. He's he, he's basically. I mean, there was a uh, a documentary. They were raising funds last year for a documentary about him, that sort of analysed and 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 you know made the point that he's actually a national treasure to the United States, even though there's people that hate him. Um, but the you know the point there is that talking about this as a distraction, talking about the idea of people not caring and caring more about something that means nothing, and then comes to election day and they scribble on a piece of paper or they don't scribble on a piece of paper there's not much difference between that and somebody staring at a picture and saying he's got a nice jaw of it for him you know or oh, you know you know i like the way he's done his hair you know that actually what you choose to see in it is actually the the greatest thing of democracy and it's lovely for us to you know to be able to to discuss it and to kind of think about who we are and you know and uh, make an intellectual and informed decision about what we do, um, and I think that's you know that's that's great stuff. But even Socrates was annoyed at this. He hated what was going on in Athens because people you know he hated the idea that democracy you know, that there was a certain amount or a certain way in which democracy would allow people who weren't thinking about the issues to have an you know an equality to people who were and that's that's it you kind of you know there isn't a better you know animal farm teaches you that there isn't a better you know uh, the minute you start doling out the bread equally and giving you know and, and, and creating communes and you know and and sort of the communist ideology as soon as you start doing that human nature falls down. It's not because yeah. communism's wrong, it's because human nature is that if I'm in charge of doling out the bread and I've got to give it equal to everybody, I'm going to have one more mouthful, you know, or I'm going to think about my friend who's a little bit ill today. You know, all of those things, it's, it's all about... Human nature's messy. Yeah. There isn't a, you know, a, a, you know, a very um, a clean, polished and easy box in that regard. So, yeah, no, if somebody, if somebody votes because of a meme... At least they voted. Yeah, that's right. At least they're engaged. Mm. So that's the 
But I guess, you know, the, the, there's an argument there to say, you know, it's great to give people the voice and the ability to have these discussions about things, but it, it, is it a good thing, you know? Uh, there are points when you'll see people just whip themselves up into a frenzy about utter ridiculousness, you know? You'll have people having flame wars over who was better, dipsy, la-la, tinky-winky, or po, and it could end up in a full-blown fight. <laughs> but that's, you know, and we do that. We do that on every level, right? You know, we are we're obsessed with with triviality because triviality sometimes is what makes meaning in our lives. <clears throat> I, I cite to students quite a lot the, spike, the sparkly vampire debate. Hmm. You know, when you, when you pull that to pieces and you realise that you're arguing two sides of a fictional archetype that doesn't <laughs> exist, you know, whether a vampire sparkles in daylight or whether a vampire doesn't sparkle in daylight, um, actually you're either standing with a 19th century storyteller or you're standing with a, a, a 20th century storyteller that's fundamentally that's the difference you know twilight bram stoker's dracula that's kind of where you're and i just you know we those trivialities they're not meaningless when i call them trivialities um that isn't to disparage them we make sense of our lives based on them they are crutches to us your likes, your interests, your the things that you that were meaningful to you, are, you know, just because they're not meaningful to someone else, they define who you are. Mm, yeah. And that, you know, if if you support this football team and are passionate about it, and I don't support that football team, I don't have to think you're a weirdo. I can well, I, I can think you're a weirdo, but the point is, is I can respect your passion. Mm. And actually, once we get past the you know, the moment of going, I don't like football, as opposed to I do, you know, once you start seeing the commitment that people bring to things, that's impressive. And actually, that's that's kind of um, where you start seeing how the world um, how the world's interesting. Because if we all like the same rubbish, it would just all be rubbish. Yeah. Mm. Now, there was a very different um, thing that you talked about on, on the panel, which was about how the, the way that we actually consume media now. And you talked a lot about the differences between uh, a kind of subscription model versus mm. a, a kind of immediate gratification. Mm. C- can you just kind of uh, go over that, that theory a little of bit? Of course, and, um, yeah. No, I mean, you know, there are... The interesting thing of the... Uh, that's the psychology of consumption. Mm. And, and what's even more interesting of that is obviously this week we have had... Netflix make the announcement about, yeah, that they epics. are going to move towards quality mm. and uh, move away from from sort of franchise access because they don't see it as a you know as a. I thought that was very interesting. Um, yeah, I was very interested when I read the article on that the other yeah, day. Yeah, because it, it it obviously that shapes the shapes the discussion even further. But I mean the the fundamental uh, element there is about the psychology of purchase. And the way in which the rituals are attached to the way we, we, we consume, the way in which we buy, the way in which we invest. Uh, to start with, you have the shop model. And the shop model is you stare at something on the shelf. You want a new pair of shoes. You look at four pairs of shoes. When you decide on which one you're going to buy, you will have visualized wearing the shoes. That's part of what makes the decision. You pick it up, you go there. You know, you will have not necessarily put them on. I mean, you know, trying a pair of shoes on is something that you do anyway. But it's not necessarily that. It's visualizing owning them, thinking about the fact that you would own them, which is slightly different. Um, 
what was it the other day? I I I won a I won third prize in a short story competition. Got me a ten pound Amazon voucher. I was delighted, and immediately I went online and I bought a copy of Ultimate Werewolf the card game nice. because I thought. I really want that, and this is a treat for me. Look, I've won something, and this is something that I will then own that symbolizes. I can always look at that, even though I enjoy, you know, I'm going to enjoy it, but also I will always look at that, and that will symbolize what I've. And that's part of that consumer relationship that we have with products. Whereas subscription models change the relationship we have because they're very clever. What they do is to start with the hurdle of buying a subscription is much harder to get over because you start off with thinking do I need that in my life but then there is a moment where you might see something that's only there so if you take Netflix and you talk about Daredevil yeah the Marvel series yeah right so it's exclusive and immediately or House of Cards mm. you know and immediately you have something there that gives you that consumer appeal that comes from the shop Thereafter, the interesting thing that's different is that once you are on the subscription service, sometimes what you will do is you will go into the catalogue and start trying to ensure you have downloaded and watched enough stuff that justifies your $7.99 or your, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and that's interesting. You know, that, that basically means that you have become your own merchant you know essentially you're selling yourself the product which is you know you're almost in you know enabling yourself towards the um the consumption of media which i think is you know is is fascinating to see the change of relationship of course it's not it's not just netflix you know sky have been doing a subscription system for mm. for a long long yeah. time but the difference is with sky is that the it is, it is there all the time. Mm. You can immediately, the, the value is tangible. Um, you know, they, they bought all of those soccer rights or football rights. They bought all of the, you know, the other um, sports. They, you know, they bring Film the movies earlier, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and so on. So you know that there are things that you're getting um, that, um, you know, are quite tangible and, and quite there. But there is also, it's always there. Whereas Netflix is not, it's mm. not in your, you know, immediately in front of you. Um, so actually there's a slightly different relationship. That said, you know, I mean, obviously the, the change to, um, to you know, wider, uh, you know, better data rates, better bandwidth access has, has altered even that generation. So Sky has, has changed quite a lot. Mm. You know, the online access is quite different now. Yeah, yeah, because they, they've had to change their offering yeah. to keep up with what yeah. what online only services are providing it, you know the the organization that exists prior to the new organization has a benefit and a um and a negative the benefit is they already exist and they've already got infrastructure and they've already possibly got capital they can redirect you know they they already have some of the things that might be useful to what they do the the downside is they're not agile because they're not hungry, mm. you know. And we know that Netflix is a loss leader. We yeah. know that Netflix is using a similar model to Facebook to establish its its market share first before we then turn, you know, to the uh, to the moment where they decide 
now we're going to charge a rate that you know and i think the interesting thing this week about the change where they've um, severed this tie about movies and have gone over to more exclusive content is part of that process mm. whether it's driven by um, the economics in terms of um, looking at their numbers or in terms of looking at their outlay I don't know or whether it's driven by a you know a, a sort of an identity I would think it's driven by at least driven by download statistics because they're just seeing that you're competing in a world that essentially you can't compete in um, because everybody's got the same product yeah. you know and so in order to differentiate yourself you have to have stuff that nobody else has yeah so I do you, do you what's your kind of knee-jerk reaction on it do you think that people are just going you know table flip walk away from Netflix or do you think that they've already provided in the form of the Netflix original TV series do you think they've provided enough for a loyal fan base to go, actually, yeah, you know what? I don't mind not seeing Hunger Games on there or, or whatever. That, that's interesting. It's an interesting idea. Um, see, my personal experience was that I was a member of... If I remember right, yeah, I, I think Netflix and Love Film, I, I took out subscriptions quite a long time ago. Mm. Those those 30-day trial offers when they were trying to... Yeah, yeah. You know, and you you know you took it out for something that you got, and then you you went in there and you looked in the catalogue and you went. I think the last thing I watched was the, uh, the the George Clooney film with the the thing about goats. Oh, you yeah. know, <laughs> <Ministerial> goats. <laughs> and you know, and you're like, okay, um, so yeah, so the 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 idea that their catalogue has built since then, you know, and their their focus towards original content has obviously already yielded um, dividend because you are seeing more people talking about you know and that privilege gate you know yeah. it, it, you know it's, it's kind of there as to whether it's the right thing to do at this stage based on their market share they are they're obviously there's got to be a, a statistic driven um, you know metric towards what they're thinking about with this I would guess that that's part of what's there, but it it does, as you say. I mean, if they don't have enough content in the cat in the catalogue that's um, that's of their own, then people are just going to go. Mm. Um, and you see that you see that in other things. You see that you know if you you cross other entertainment forms, if you look at um, multiplayer online games, the amount of multiplayer online games that have tried to replicate the World of Warcraft model and built a world for you to play in and then gradually as people exhaust the content they disappear mm. and the subscription disappears and then they go free to play and then they and all they they try and go um, you know the sort of world of world of tanks method of, of free to play to start with but then if you want a better tank you buy this or, or so on yeah. microtransactions know, all of that they're putting everything yeah, together all of so that. you've got subscription it's, and microtransactions exactly. and, and it, it's all the same process it's all trying to find a different way to access um, the uh, the consumer and the consumer's um, disposable income yeah uh, you know, we can we could we could go towards Star Citizen and talk about Star Citizen, mm. and you can see the same, you know, same methods whereby that that attempt is. I mean, you know, there there is a certain 
a certain fascination with Star Citizen that makes it slightly different in the way in which it's there. But I, I, I think I'd, I'd return a little bit to, to Netflix and to Amazon and to, to just make a point related to them in that I do very much see that because these are new studios, because that's what they're, you yeah. know, they're becoming, because these are new studios who have adopted and colonised a new platform that other institutions have not been able to colonise as effectively as they have, there are job opportunities there. And if they are producing exclusive content and intending to produce exclusive exclusive content, we're, we're moving into a world whereby there is more co- competition and actually there is more opportunity for people to go and create that exclusive content in those areas. Um, Oculus are interesting. Mm. You know, if you look at, yes, they were bought out. You know, yes, Facebook bought them. Um, But if you look at where they set up a small film studio to start looking at um, immersive filmmaking and filmmaking inside VR headsets. Yeah, I know there was a tie-in with Interstellar and Oculus. There's there's a, you know, I mean, they've set a little studio up. There are two or three fairly well-known directors looking into it. And... Um, one of the things we used to talk about, you know, having run New Media and Current Trends for the amount of years that I have, one of the things we used to talk about when 3D films came out, I'd said at the time, the aesthetic codes of 3D filmmaking, the, the auteur ideas of 3D filmmaking, we don't know what they all are yet. You know, rack focus, how does rack focus work mm. when it goes from four rows in the cinema all the way back to, you know, how does that how does that that work it's different um the the whip pan doesn't work in you know it has a different context in 3d cinema mm. um the way in which you shoot is different for 3d filmmaking with oculus it's gone again you know you you know the whole the whole um storytelling dynamic is different and you have to think in a completely different set of you know, or, or and invent a completely different set of rules, and I think that's just I think that's interesting. And I, mm. you know, where we're seeing these these new companies come in and you know take market share because of venture capital investment, fine, but then start to um, to sort of settle down to produce and promote more original content. You're offering opportunities for people, and diversity of opportunity is is good. Fundamentally, it, it's still all targeting the same number of people hmm. with the same amount of disposable income which is where the you know the uh, the dear old financial services people at the end you know market projection of you know we remember the dot com bubble we remember all the you know the things that happened with that market projection of these things growing and growing it just doesn't happen hmm. you know facebook cannot go beyond every user on the planet having an account um, yes, there were one billion users online at one point during. Fantastic, but you know, fundamentally there is a finite thing, um, and it, it's just you're always going to see these peaks and troughs. You you kind of have to um, when your when your career is in the middle of it. You know when you're when you're one of those people who might suffer the trough. That's a hard place to be. Very much it's so. It's hard to be phlegmatic about that. You mm. know, really hard. But, you know, there are always going to be peaks and troughs. Mm. Um, and it does come back to... It's when you think about the things that people are making. Establishing a value on them is so hard. Mm. 
because when when there are you know when there are forms of software that allow you to download things for free um, when there are uh, when there are more people making these things than there ever were before when there's more musicians more writers more filmmakers than ever 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 before understanding what the value of what you've made is yeah so I, guess, I guess that's the kind of the, the big the, another question in terms of all the, the subscription models and things is how it changes the perceived worth of of uh, an artistic well thing my my bachelor's dissertation designed a new model distribution for the music industry essentially pitching the idea that music has no value what you're what you're buying with the with this model and especially with spotify model is you're buying you're buying access to a service you're, you're paying for access to music you're not paying for music itself so with my model i proposed uh, an artist space idea which i think is basically what title has become and i did it like four years before and i'm kicking myself back to it. <laughs> hey, I, c- I could tell you a story about hybrid cars on that if yeah. you like so my idea was like I used the Foo Fighters as an example because they're my favourite band and it was like I would happily pay 99 pence a month to have access to everything the Foo Fighters had done and everything they ever would and in the meantime have access to gig tickets merchandise etc on the the flip side they get very good quantitative and quantitative data about their fans Mm. for tour planning and sustained income yeah and they get they get an album's worth of income in years when there's no albums being being big, sold. Big model Patreon. Yeah. yeah. You know, in yeah. that regard. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And for my money, I'm getting stuff that can't be pirated. I mean, if I want the music, I go to Spotify and get it for free. Mm. But I don't get the gig deals yeah. for mm. free. I can't steal that. Yeah. I can't steal uh, video chats with the band. I can't steal that. I'm paying for access to that. And it's the exclusivity of being able to say that you're part of this, this band's artist space. But the music has no value. Mm. It's just there to bring you in. It's, 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 a social, it's a social esteem that's got the value attached to it. I'll take you one stage further, okay, in terms of the psychology related to what's there. and I'll, I uh, built it on Maslow in Hertzberg. So. Yeah, no, no, I mean, that's the, you know, that, that entirely, entirely fits up. But I'll take you one stage further. It might creep you out slightly. Do you realise you're buying friends? Mm. If you go that one stage further, just because you want to be mates with these people... And I'll be blunt. I'm yeah. not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean it like that. No, no, no. I'm devil's advocate yeah. the point. You know, these are, these are people who you see as heroes, yeah. right? You know, I have my own cultural icons who I would see as heroes. Um, the opportunity to then spend time with them is what you are purchasing. Yeah. So actually you are buying friendship. Yeah, and it, and it's it's weird because they're your icons and they're your yeah. heroes because of their music. Yeah. But you no longer yeah have the any music. The music is only is only the means by which you have uh, found them. Yeah. It's the transition. It's the you know, and actually the you know the consumable. Not everybody thinks that way. You know, some people are oh, you know I fancy listening to this. I fancy listening. To this. You know, I don't care about don't care about the politics. You know, um, but. Actually, there is a lot of artist identification, and certainly when we get into fan culture, yeah. that that is fundamental to fan culture. Um, you know, if you think about the ways in which people uh, deify certain, you know, it, it transcends the content, 
and because it's transcended the content, that's when you get yeah. to, to there. I, you know, there's there's one good example that I, I, I give related to this. It's slightly different context, so it's interesting it's come up here. Um, I'm not a fan of, academically and as a writer, I am not a fan of David Eddings's writing. <laughs> as a 14-year-old boy who was going through a very difficult time and was trying to find something to escape, I found the Belgariad and I found the Malarian. And those 10 books took me into another space for a period of my life. And I will always be grateful to them. But I understand the difference. Yeah. And then I've, I've had a few conversations with fans of Christopher Paolini along the same lines. Because, you know, you can criticise the writing, you know, and I, as a writer I look at that and say, oh, you know. But you can't criticise the moment that somebody read it and it was a formative moment for them in their life. Mm -hmm. Just because they had, you know, perhaps they, they hadn't read a book that had a dragon in it before or, or, or a dragon in the way in which it was conveyed in this. They hadn't, you know, had the life experiences of all these better things that I think are better. They had that moment. Yeah. And so, therefore, that becomes a great, you know, the, the text, the, uh, the creative content has transcended what it is. It doesn't mean anything anymore. It, what means something is the association with the memory. Yeah. Um, and actually, that you know that sort of chucks into your your point, doesn't it? Yeah. If you go higher up the hierarchy of Maslow's needs, you get towards self-esteem and belonging. So that's yeah. where it's pitching at. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I guess to take it that one step further, how would you see like the Kickstarter type model fitting in with it that people will pay up for, for something before it's created? With a promise of getting something at the end of it and some perks. I honestly thought Kickstarter would run itself out. When when Indiegogo and Crowdsource and mm. GoFundMe and everything started, I thought, okay, everyone's doing it. It's going to reach a saturation point. People are going to get disenfranchised with the whole idea. Um, I haven't seen that happen. Um, speaking as someone who's run one, yeah. you know, it actually it is a very weird and surreal experience. Um, the there is still a tension. There is still a tension related to the role of the backer. What is the backer? Is the backer a consumer? Is the backer an investor? Yeah, a producer um, or a, yeah. Exactly. And and how what rights does the backer have? Mm. Now the Elite Dangerous Kickstarter is very interesting yeah, in that which regard. Which I kickstarted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was very interesting in that regard because with the Elite Dangerous Kickstarter, you also had sometime a little bit afterwards uh, they floated a certain amount of the company's shares on the stock market mm. and when some of the release information came out and you had information going out to you know about what was coming up next what was going to happen some of that information was going in stock reports prior to it going to the backers mm. which I thought was a very interesting moment because the backers have fundamentally purchased uh, these these commodities that are listed, but they feel like they're a community that is, you know, sort of they feel like they're a proactive community that is raising this this company. Mm. Whereas, somebody buys stocks and shares, they're not, they're not doing it because you know, if you're a football fan, you you might buy shares in your club, 
but you're more likely to express your support mm. by wearing the t-shirt yeah. and putting the the scarf on or or you know chanting the the you know the songs and what have you um so so there is a you know wh- wh- but the shareholder is going to be more rewarded by the success yeah so there is a very interesting difference and and certainly the consumer or um share or or or, or sort of consultant role you know how much what rights does a backer have is very interesting it's also very interesting the 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 kickstart you know their own i mean i think they're in a bit of a frontier zone you know because i i you know there have been kickstarters go down there have been you know problems happen um but they themselves are in a wild west Mm. of where this is going because you know there are still rules in there that you look at and go is that how it works? You know? Yeah, I mean, and there's, there's still kind of possibilities in there that, that are yet to be exhausted, which is the kind of, you know, what at what point does a perk stop? Uh, at, you know, how much can you say, right, well, you can, if you give us a million pounds, we'll let you, I don't know, stab someone in the arm. Or, or lifetime, lifetime passes. Yeah. You know, what is a lifetime pass? Yeah. Uh, can you inherit it? <laughs> mm. well, that, that, that's, that's actually a very interesting one that I've thought about quite a bit. And it's the whole kind of digital uh, legacy, yeah, uh, a yeah, digital yeah, will, because yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got all, all these things. You know, you know, whenever I buy DVDs and Blu-rays now, I get the ultraviolet copies and I have them online. So I have an online archive of content that belongs to me. And so when I die, what happens to that content? Yeah, yeah. You know, well, it's... There's licenses related to that. There's, there's, Absolutely. Apple. It's a license issue as well. Because mm. even if you have a CD, you don't actually own the CD. You own the yeah. right to use the CD mm. for, the, for the life of it. Yeah. Because um, if you owned the music, if you broke a CD, you could go into a shop and say, I paid for this once, I need yeah. a replacement. Yeah. That's, that's not how it works, though. But the online online's a, a, an interesting issue. Because it's like, you know, your, your, yeah. your digital music collection that you've spent a shed load of money on... Does that suddenly then just disappear well, when companies you companies are no longer are, here, or is that something you can then bequeath to someone well, else? But every company yeah. is struggling with this in a different way mm. and is, is struggling with the terms and conditions of this. And then you have, you know, the legalities coming back along the other side of it, and you know, and so on. And you know, we we live in a country where precedent is a lovely thing. Mm. It's it's a, a double edged sword. You know, we have a law system that is made by precedent. So of course, recalling whatever the latest, you know, the precedent is, and then, uh, you know, a precedent that is sort of applies to your current case, you apply it to that, mm-hmm. and then the judge makes a ruling, which means that now your case is the next precedent. Yeah. And Hence so on. the current situation we're yeah. in with copyright it, law. It is. In, it in is. Terms you know, of can is, you make backups of discs? Exactly. And... It is. It is a. It is a, a system that allows clarity in that you can always say, "Well, you said this here, so it must be." here mm. but at the same time it becomes so complex mm. and you know and particularly when we are living in a society where the technology and the application of the technology is evolving so fast mm. you know to then legislate behind it is is tough mm. um you know the the whole idea of intellectual property is difficult it's very especially at the moment with in especially in terms of derivative works mm-hmm. you know where where you're either parodying or sampling yeah. or something like that of somebody else's work or but, doing yeah and it's again, it's not just yeah. and I, I think i think it's important to stress it's not just about 
the corporation being the bad man and the little artist or the you know or the or the you know the the individual being the 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 white knight or the the good person in that regard it is also sometimes it goes the other way sometimes it you know and we're not just talking about you know illegal downloading actually there are there are a great many examples where you have seen the company really struggle mm. based on the fact that they didn't get it right yeah. and also the individual really struggle based on the fact they didn't get it right mm. um, and you also see how um, how media spotlighting how um, how these you know this this sort of um, us all focusing on something can make changes too mm. um, that stuff about the Hobbit pub yeah you know I you look at that as a clear-cut situation. They were blatantly using... I, I, I don't have an issue with them being called the Hobbit pub in any way, shape, or form, but they were blatantly using paraphernalia from the film mm. to promote their, you know, which actually, you know, in terms of the licensing conditions of what New Line had and everything else, that was problematic. Yeah. But then they had endorsement from celebrities who you know don't, yeah, and so there's one recently which was uh, I think it was a, a Pokemon themed party at I think it was PAX Games that had to be cancelled because they used Pokemon images and characters on the posters advertising the event and they served them a cease and desist my world's got to serve a cease and desist but they did see. indeed yeah. did they? yeah over just a minute just a minute yeah which is why it was called just a moment yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you haven't you haven't lived unless someone's threatened you with legal action. <laughs> um, it says from bitter experience. Uh, you know, it, it it is, it is, it is so complex, and there isn't. I I think what's important to to recognise is that actually sometimes there's no sense of right mm. beyond your own determination yeah. um, and also um, from there you know and that, that can be that can be a really chilling thing when you realise that actually the only person that can really stand up for you in some of these situations is you uh, it, you know that can be quite frightening um, and certainly uh, when you when you go down those roads and when or when people take you down those roads it makes you question everything you've done mm. you know uh, am I right you know do I have the, the the license to do this is this and you know these things sometimes are a little bit mutable too you know in yeah. terms of what what you know what people are prepared to allow we've certainly ran into it in terms of being able to use certain bits of music on yeah. podcasts and so forth because well, now that we've started putting them on YouTube there's a lot more rules and there are automatic scanning things yeah. that happen on YouTube that can identify copyright pieces of work well, I looked it. at I looked at when I, I started composing I looked at PRS membership mm. and I know SoundCloud and PRS are now having a bit of an argy-bargy because yeah. SoundCloud has, has, has not complied and you can see all that you know but I looked at PRS and what PRS would stop me from doing I, I, I think that you know I think that um, union um uh, membership is, is very helpful to people because it enables them to have a, you know a solidarity a lobby to less feel less alone in those yeah. circumstances where they are picked on um, but what PRS would stop me from doing 
is being able to provide music to my friends mm. to do something that they want to do yeah. uh, just for nothing. And, you know, and that's problematic. So, you know, you have to make those choices for yourself in terms of what's there. Um, it, but it is, yeah, you know, it can be a lonely place when, when something... But I, I would say as well, the, there was an old model, and this, this came around in the late 90s and the early 2000s, when the force.net started mm. up after um, troops. Mm. And that old model was, you're, you're a noble, wonderful fan, so long as you're producing fan content and not making any money out of it. Mm. You know, and that, that, was the, that was the line, and everyone, you know, and you became a hate figure the minute you started to charge, Monetizing, you know, yeah, yeah. as soon as, and which actually is a really, you know, straight because you're using someone else's stuff, but it's okay to use their stuff as long as you're being the fan. You mm. did it just because you're, you know. Um, now, that's changing because you're seeing the, you know, the subscription model for YouTube alters that paradigm immediately because you're then seeing licensed content being used but it's being it's not being paid for directly there's a you know or the the idea of indirect subscription via crowdsource funding the idea of of you know of of some of those you know and these these challenges related to who owns what why they exist um are you allowed have been going on for a long 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 time it's just the rules are different, mm. and they're you know it, it's not it's not the bard in the tavern repeating the story he heard last night from the other bard, and the other bard walking in and punching him in the face. <laughs> you know now we have now we have you know um, recorded letters mm. and um, you know legal documentation and bailiffs. You know um, it you know I'm, I'm perhaps being a bit melodramatic, but the the point there is that these these tensions related to creativity and related related to uh related to ownership of creativity I rated it being my idea your idea your idea you know it's kind of been going off a long long mm. long, long time and how, how do you think things like the creative commons licensing fits into it uh in open sourcing and and creative commons are are interesting in that they they change the priority. If you you know, I I kind of try as a as a theoretician. I try to use my own practice as a basis of what I um, I then look at, and then I look at what other people do and try and see how how whether I'm unusual or whether I. So, when I look at making things, I think about how much am I making to raise a profile and how much am I making to raise a profit so you know if I take if I take the example of the um, the Wissemere series which is a set of fantasy novels that I've done three of and I've got three more planned I released the first two on the same day and I wrote the first one with a cliffhanger ending and I set the first one up on the, you know, they're both put up on Amazon Kindle, December 2012. Uh, the Sword of Wissamere was up for any, on its free promotion. You know, I treated it like a drug deal. 
Mm. The first one's first free, one free, and then the Absolutely. second one's two pounds, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then the third one was two pound fifty, and then the fourth one a bit, you know, and and to sort of the, the sort of whistle would be at about seventy p usually, but then it would. Now the amount of hours and time I invested in in making that book good, I'm never going to return a profit on it. Yeah. I'm probably not going to return a profit on the series, but I made a, a conscious decision about the model I was electing to use, and I'd seen other people do the same thing. Now, when you come to, to Creative Commons, um, the, it, it's slightly different. There is a profile element to it, but there is also a community element to it. And actually, that community element can be, for some people, more important. Because what they're doing is saying, I am giving of my time for the greater good, you know, the greater creativity. I am giving of something I have made to try and help other people make something even better. Um, I, I find, yeah, I mean, it's a slight tangent, but I find the whole evolution of Linux very interesting in that mm. regard because, of course, Linux open source and, you know, and and for years the whole sort of, this is how it is, this is, you know, and, and then you see the ways in which people have taken advantage of that to develop their own proprietary version, so Android would not exist. Oh, exactly. Without, yeah. you know, that and Android being Google's proprietary OS mm-hmm. that you know that they would like to make of the world Android. Um, I, you know, that kind of when you see that happen, it demonstrates to you how sometimes we, you know. It's not necessarily the downside of the open source model, but it demonstrates how the open source model can be utilized by people who are not who do not share the same values Unscrupulously. that the open source <laughs> model professed in the first yeah, place. Absolutely. And I, I think similarly the um you know the sort of the uh, the nobility of that um is is a tricky thing. It's a tricky thing to, to think about. I did um, Wikimania last year um, when Nine Worlds was on in 2014. I actually I did two days of Nine Worlds and then drove over to Wikimania, which was in, in, in the Barbican in London, and did an Elite Dangerous demo for the evening. And, um, yeah, it was just packed. You know, people wanted to play Elite Dangerous on the Oculus Rift. I had an Oculus Rift. I had Elite Dangerous. They wanted to play it. And, it, you know, we just had people after people after people. And the people you saw in that room they were the great and the good from all over the world, incredibly intelligent people who believe in Wikipedia mm-hmm. and believe in what Wikipedia is trying to do by, you know, creating sort of accessible knowledge for for the world. And, you know, to the point that they they, they work incredibly hard to assist Wikipedia. And you kind of look at that and you go, and th- that has generated this massive infrastructure. Mm. I'll be controversial. How different is that to Scientology? It's different in the ideology. Mm. It's different in the in the the message. It's different in the um, you know the what their their aim. Yes, but you've an infrastructure created based off of something that you know a shared consciousness, a shared mm. sort of. It, it, it's just different, and you you make a decision based on what they're actually trying to do, you know, um, how they are using that, uh, you know. But they have still built a pyramid. Mm. They've still built, a, a, you know, a, 
a community based on what's there and whether you share it or you don't, you know, and, and seeing the passion of people, you know, you have to respect it. Um, but, you know, that. Scientology and, and Wikipedia. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, we've had some we've had some pretty weird tangents on the show in the past, but that's uh, that's, that's, that's it, up there. Pretty high up there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, but but you do you see that's part of society. It's part of how we we congregate. Mm. When we share something, whether you agree with it or you don't agree with it, when we share something, it binds us. Yeah. I was talking in the uh, the Nine Worlds um, uh, keynote when I. I delivered the, the stuff I was talking about, the shared spectacle of the convention and the idea in the 50s when everybody turned up, they'd all read the same books. So actually they could come and find their find their, their, their soulmates, mm. essentially, find the people who knew the things they knew. And actually it's moved on because our, our, you know, our genres are so diverse. You've read half a ton of stuff I haven't read. Mm. You've read half a ton of stuff I haven't read. You've both read you know, stuff that each other haven't read. Um, and actually, the reason you go is to is not just to find the share, but also to to pick people's brains and go and to find the new. What are the cool yeah, things? Absolutely. What's going on? Yeah, you know, yeah. um, and that you know that's the evolution and the change of, of what's there. But it's still part of this, you know, sort of structural creation that we mm. do. We find tribes, we find herds, yeah. and then based on similar experiences or similar interests. And yeah. So is that? Uh a key identifier of new media, do you think? The ease in which it can be shared and consumed, and the ease in which it establishes communities. Right. I think I think that's the 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 trait. You know, the the global communities that not. And I I, th- I think we can we can be glib in this. You know, when we talk about the global community, you know, it kind of oh, you can get, you can put a message out and it can be anywhere and blah blah blah. It can is the mm-hmm. point. Not that you know, in the past maybe it couldn't. But it's not that it will. Mm. Um, and actually, the things that catch fire are the ones where people see resonance in what you're choosing to say. Um, Coney 2012. Oh, God, yeah, I remember that. I felt right, that. right. Where is it now? Yeah. Right? It's a beautiful example, though. The Ice Bucket Challenge. Did that. It's yeah. a beautiful <laughs> example, yeah. right? Because... It, these things resonate yeah. and the interesting thing about the ice bucket challenge is that the way in which it um, it resonated related to whether you were supporting that charity or you were supporting a different charity and how that message then became you know sort of diverged yeah um, it was all motor neuron in the end yeah yeah I mean I in the end I you know I refused to do it but I gave a donation to a charity that meant something to me yeah, because yeah. You know, to me, motor neuron disease is a very worthy charity, but there are a lot of very worthy charities. So, you know, as far as I was concerned, the emotional blackmail of being asked to give to a charity is something interesting in itself because you're being challenged to, you know, and actually that means more than tipping a bucket of water over your head. Well, I did, um, I, I did both. I did, I did the. I tipped the water over my head, and yeah. I donated the, yeah. to the charity. But, but that, and and the point is, is that actually the significance of tipping the water over your head brings you part of a community. Yeah. Right. It it makes you part of the and and you know going back to what you said about identification of heroes, 
you see the celebrities do it and therefore and actually there's also there's a little bit of Kevin Bacon there as well Mm. because the degrees of separation when you start seeing or or even or even it's you know you think it's quite cool because you're looking at chains and thinking well look you know it started off with Bill Gates or it started off with these people and look now it's got to me yeah so I must be connected to it so there's there's a whole you know networking element in terms of what's there too um you know I, we're, we're, we're strange strange diverse creatures <laughs> true absolutely so I want to go back to Netflix circle back around to that um, two things really uh, the first is the issue of the production company with Hunger Games that are leaving them and them focusing on, on quality uh, the significance then for culture from that is that Netflix will become even more of a gatekeeper, not just offering popcorn movies, but focusing on what they are subjectively deeming as quality. So, is there any control elements that like new media in general should be preparing for? Uh, there's a worry there. Um, because I, I think... How, think... Do they, how do they determine what a quality movie is yeah. how do they because they're then shaping the message essentially they are they are and there is a concern that that then gets taken a stage further yeah. where you then end up with ideological difference yeah. not just in terms of um, aesthetic you know or a, a type of aesthetic but also ideological yeah. difference so if you end up with a um, a received elite you know within a bubble that preaches to its choir and then outside of that bubble you know and and actually what then happens is those who are within it turn around and you know and kind of interact with the others and don't see the world in the same way that's that's you know and then then we end up in kooky religions and you know and cults and stuff um i you know i think i mean i think there is a there is a something of a concern but that concern is tempered actually by the ease of access to switching. You can make a comparison to the false economy uh, driven in the UK with gas and electric. It's the same gas and electric in your pipe, but apparently you should be switching all the time in terms of your provider because then you'll get a better deal. Well, have you tried? It's hard, right? It's hard. It takes more hassle than you are prepared to engage with every couple of months to make that small saving that you might be able to make. And you have to track it all yourself because every salesman you speak to on the phone will give you figures as to how they are cheaper when actually they probably aren't. So, you know, even though, you know, the government sort of perhaps comes back and says, no, it must be more transparent, it must give clearer figures it's still hard, right? Because yeah. you've got to actively engage with that process. Whereas what you'd probably just quite like to do is get somebody supply you with your gas, have your bill on a direct debit and forget about it, yeah. right? But is that equatable? There is an equate, this is, this is the point. The equation is this, is the entertainment culture is much more, um, it's much more visible mm. and more active, right? So it's equatable in terms of the pro, you know, the mechanic, but in terms of your engagement, this is in your face. 
This you don't want to think about because you just want it to work. Mm. This is in your face and is what you want. So you're more inclined to put your conscious thoughts into it. So you're more inclined to cancel, right? Mm. They They can't make it that hard for you. Sky do. Very interesting to change your Sky subscription. You gotta phone them. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you can add stuff to your package online. online. Yeah, yeah. You can't take it away. You gotta phone them. So the change of how the the relationship is with the you know, so you have to actively engage, and you know as well. You know, you're you're thinking about the phone call and thinking, oh, I'm gonna be on hold. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be this amount of time. You know, so so it is interesting how they change that mechanic but with you know the, the 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 sort of the new subscription services part of what they've done is they've done these free for a point of yeah. time and then you can just get rid of us or, or whatever i've got my parents um on audible at the moment because the idea being my dad isn't reading at the moment and and the idea is that you know maybe this is a way in which he'll you know appreciate books because he's struggling with his reading so he's gonna you know Gonna listen to them. So we've got three or four weeks to try and get him into actually using an MP3 player, you know, and listening to audiobooks. And if it doesn't take, we'll cancel it. Mm. And actually, it's not too difficult, right? As long as I remember the date, yeah. it's yeah. not too difficult. Whereas with, you know, with something like your power and your water, you know, or your, you know, or your gas, it's quite a bit more mm. you know more complicated in that process so uh, equatable only mm. in the switching yeah not equatable in the um in terms know, of the choice which i the think product. is what you yeah. were challenging yeah absolutely yeah 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 because yeah, yeah. 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 you don't get you know no. do i want purple no. gas blue gas so in terms of the future of new media that's one aspect where there's concern and where and a need for control even if we do have this ability to, to, to quit whenever we want there's still a need for well competition keeps competition keeps uh thing and and we saw this anyway it's not actually a new media problem no. competition keeps things uh it, you know it is it is one of those 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 sort of positives of capitalism where people are competing for the audience are competing for the for the share competition keeps things honest is the wrong word but it keeps things um away from the you know the the perhaps the concerns of um ideological yeah. you know i mean we still see it you know the murdoch uh you know sort of entity of 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 the different countries that he has managed to you know to populate with his uh, yeah, his companies look at, look at the disney's of the world yeah now, you know there is still ide- there is still ideology it yeah. is still there if you look for ideology you will find it there is still ideology you know behind netflix you only got to look at fox and you can find you know even though you can you know if you look at a lot of the content produced by fox that is not the obvious news content if you look at a lot of the the movie content and other bits and pieces it's harder to spot it's still there you can still find traces of an ideology um so so yeah and and i think the only thing you can do there is you just it comes all the way back to what you said about people voting on a meme. Yeah. Right? There's still an ideology in the meme, right? And there's still a, you know, and they've still made it. The only thing you can do is try and make people, you know, do whatever you can as an individual 
to make people make informed choices or help people make informed choices. You can't make people make informed choices. Chinese burns don't don't make people read books, but you can um, you know you can sort of try to engage them in conversation that that makes them consider the uh, the choices that they make. I did something. I did something on an internet forum. Uh, you know, I was bad. I was trolling a little bit. <laughs> you can see this is a trend. I, I do this occasionally. Um, I did something on an internet forum to somebody the other day, and he he accused. He was. We were discussing the the Labour leadership stuff, and he he professed a you know a um, he, he professed his conservative nature and. His preference for, uh, you know, quite vociferously for, you know, for a particular aspect of society, and then started labelling without judgment, and and you know, and I said something like, you know, I, I kind of, I have to say I agree with you that Harriet Harman and Liz Kendall would be great as a double act, just not in this country. Maybe we could let them rule Rockall. That would be fine, um, and you know, I was being humorous, and he immediately then labelled me as, as you know, as this. And I said to him, it must be fascinating or, or it, it must be very gratifying to be able to understand the world through the colour of its words. And he went, what? Exactly. And he, he didn't understand. And, 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 and it went for pages of him trying to get me to explain it. And the whole point was that he and, and then I, I, you know, I made the point at the end is that you have just labelled me as have, you know by, by, by me having said you know five words you have labelled and defined my life hmm. and so I have now given you a statement that you don't understand so I don't fit your label do I there you are that's, that's the point the statement meant nothing you know it didn't, it didn't you know if you think uh, how is he, you know everyone's typing in black how is he working you know but it, it didn't mean anything and that was exactly the point was that actually when you you know it brought him up short it suddenly he couldn't do anything else he couldn't engage with the rest of the conversation he couldn't do anything else because he was so desperate to understand what my comeback meant yeah. and that was the whole point was to turn him out of his so if you want to you know if you want to get back at anybody who is you know um uh, you think he's making uh, political decisions with their life without having enough information. Just say something to them they don't understand, and then they will have to engage with you, and then until they can understand what you're you're saying. There you go, there was folks. another. I, I, I did. Epic trolling advice. Yeah, though. yeah, it is. Yeah, I did. I did there was another one I did um, uh, after that. I called someone madam, and he not on a, on a discussion forum. And he and I intentionally did it, and I was being very careful with the the moderators because I didn't want to go over the line, and you know, and it, it wasn't an insult. You know, I didn't put it as an insult, but I intentionally. Why did you call me? Ma- I don't believe I've said I'm male or female. Why did you call me? Exactly. What do you? You're now in a box. You don't like it because I've labelled you with a gender. It doesn't matter that you know. I I don't think that you know either gender is worse. But I have labelled you with a gender and you're now in a box and you don't like it. Yeah. Now you understand what you did to me in the previous comment by putting me in a box. Suddenly, you know, I'm ostracised from other people and I will react angrily. Yeah. I've just put you in a box. Now you understand, you yeah. understand why I've said it. Not because 
uh, you know, I'm being pejorative and saying that madam is an insult or anything else. I've just put you in a box. You just made the same basis assumption that he's made to you. Yeah, exactly. You just yeah. reflect the assumption back. So actually, sometimes that can, yeah, there you go, trolling 101. Yeah. That, is, that, is how you, that is how you troll intelligently. Um, I'm but playing the, Dota 2 tonight and playing that <laughs> But it is, you know, it is when, 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 when you can. And, and you know, and in the end, in um, in the in the, the the latter case, in the discussion forum case, uh, once I explained to him exactly what he'd done, because he didn't realise what he'd done to me, he was so full of remorse. He was like, "Oh, I, I, I hadn't seen it like that. I didn't realise that." You know, which is fine. And and I totally got that. Every other poor person that read that thread thought I was a horrible person. You know, I thought I'd come across really badly I entire, you know I hold my hand up that sometimes all of us can get too obsessed with internet forums yeah. but you know maybe that one truth was worth it for that you know for that one moment um, but yeah no it, you know at, at the end of the day you can only hope that people will make informed decisions you can't educate all of them you can you know make it your life's mission to, to teach and, uh, and and try and educate them where you can but you know, you just hope that people take take the lessons that they have in their own lives on board and, and recognise the, you know, the the right things and kind of make the decisions that are informed. But you have to accept that somewhere. It's like my favourite XKCD. Are you coming to bed, dear? Not yet. Someone on the internet is wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, looking f- looking towards the future of New Media, then, uh, one thing that struck me from the panel was there seemed to be differences in territories between creating and producing media and then consuming it. I think an example that was given was that someone in South Africa could work via Celtex on a script for a BBC programme with someone in the UK. Once it got picked up and made, that person in South Africa couldn't watch it, not without using a VPN, mm. because of territorial restrictions. Mm. And that's with Netflix as well, there's territorial restrictions there. How do we help these companies move past the idea of territories? It's funny, isn't it? It's an old fight, a very old fight. You know, DRMs and uh, um, uh, region restriction. Um, and you would have thought that they would have learnt that actually some of those region restrictions were what empowered illegal downloading in the first place you know actually that fueled the um the larger mass movement uh towards that when you know when one territory doesn't but it is it is related to license you know and if you look at the mechanics hbo makes game of thrones okay so um you know if someone else hasn't bought it because they're you know they're, they're selling the rights Per territory, and that's that's the case unilaterally. You know, you go right down to your publishing contract for your book. You know, you're selling per territory. You're you know, and and copyrights. You're selling per territory. They are there per territory. An interesting example. Have you in that regard in just a minute? But the the key thing here is that that negotiation is always going on. Now, you kind of can't stop because. They can be as quick as possible, but until that negotiation becomes so efficient that the uh, the showing is simultaneous, it will still happen. So, um, 
if you take when um, when the BBC went into partnership to produce Rome. Mm. Now, that was a really interesting period of time because yeah. they went into partnership to produce this show. It was HBO, I think, wasn't it? Uh, was it was, yeah, it was HBO and yeah. the BBC. So they went, into, they went into partnership with them to produce it. And that meant they had license exactly the same time to, to show it. And then the BBC showed it and they were kind of a little bit embarrassed by what they had. So when they showed it was... 11 o'clock at night mm. you know you know so they actually didn't show it that you know they put money into it but they had that you know um so it, it you know it became a difference because it, it didn't the the um the nudity that it, uh, it you know professed the violence that it professed was very difficult for the bbc mm. to to manage you know and to see that as part of their identity uh, wasn't such a problem for Channel 4 working on Band of Brothers, you know, but that was more franchise. They didn't necessarily yeah. put the money up front. So, you know, the regionalisation, um, the companies are still regionalised, and so actually the regionalisation still exists related to that, particularly as we move towards digital content. That's where the difference has become, because when you were looking at DVDs, it was artificial regionalisation. Yeah. Yeah. You had distribution networks. So essentially what they were doing is um, trying to ensure that their local supplier, you know, that the middle worked. And so, you know, so essentially, you know, only for you, only for you, only for you. It's, it's where you run into the problem that it's not necessarily the company that made the film that's distributing it. Yeah, and also, and also the, the, the idea of structuring revenue, mm. so that if you're thinking that actually we're going to get this return from the cinema, this return from America... This return, so actually, you're structuring the revenue along a, you know, which is sometimes can be quite useful for a company to have structured revenue. Um, our problem now is as we move towards more and more online content and more and more online services, is that that regionalization doesn't necessarily. It may be territorial, but it 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 can manifest in all sorts of ways. You know, to start with, we have regionalization, or we have. You know, you have the barrier of subscription and not subscription, which is just another barrier, you know. Um, but there's a financial, you know, sort yeah. of line between it. Um, you might find that what might work is to is to sort of, when somebody decides to create a company that essentially has unilateral subscription, that might help. But there are still, even now, if you look at, how Amazon handled some of its Kindle releases, they would market the Kindle uh, in America for a dollar price and in the UK for a pound price. It's the same, same price, price yeah. despite the fact the exchange rate's different, yeah. right? So they're making more money per Kindle mm. in the UK, you know? So the, it's a different manifestation of regionalization. Um, you know, and and... I don't think that's going to change. I think I think where we can see um, injustices occur in relation to that, where we are being ripped off in relation to that, then you might be able to find some methods to defend it. The um, you know the the way in which UK tax laws have been changed since January is an effort to try and do that. That's actually completely gone the wrong way. Um, in that you know as a you know if i have a book as a small publisher then now i'm being charged for a digital copy of it i'm being taxed for a digital copy of it um 
because it's available in more than the UK, you know, which is, is problematic. You know, I, 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 can't, I can't think of exactly how the law has professed itself, but it has certainly put a lot of people who have developed small businesses based on digital content only, it's put them in difficult situations, particularly people like audiobook producers, mm. audio drama producers. You know, the, these are areas where, um, you know, we, we're, we're getting such great diversity is starting to, you know, to sort of manifest because the technology of production is that much cheaper. Yeah. And actually, then you have, essentially, you have sort of 1920s taxation policy being brought back with the, the sort of regionalization of, of tariff and the, um, you know, the depression kind of style, no no exports, you know, make our own, make our mm. own. Um, but but you see that happening in different ways everywhere, you know. Um, right now, where do you you know where's your cheapest oil? Where's your cheapest oil right now? Saudi Arabia and, and OPEC. Why? Because they've pushed the price right down to try and make other regions, other places that are producing lots of oil. But are slightly more expensive in terms of the means of production to put them out of business. You know, actually, Saudi Arabia is currently um, exporting oil at a loss. You know, there are still one or two countries that are exporting it at a profit within the OPEC group, but it means that Russia is exporting oil at a loss, which is kind of the you know is a different competitor. Mm. So yeah, so you know, you're seeing it, it's not just media. Mm. You know, that that regionalization expresses itself. In so many ways, in so many different industries, um, and it's very complex. Uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I totally see that when you look at DVD regionalization and you kind of see similar um, things like Hulu and BBC iPlayer, and you see the the, the wall. Yeah. You know, that's that's there in terms of you know, oh, I'm I'm in Ireland and suddenly I can't, you know, watch um, stuff from BBC iPlayer. You know. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I totally get that, but at the same time, it manifests in all sorts of ways. Um, I, d- I don't really know whether fighting the, you know, sort of to, to bring that barrier down, you know, should we do that? Well, so that was the question. Okay. Was well, the question, I, I think I think you know I would I would say back to the point about you know where you see injustice, where you see that you are being. Um, you are being sort of defrauded, as it were. Then actually, yeah, you know, there is there is a fight worth having, and you know, we know that the music industry, for a period of time, artificially held the price of of CDs at a particular level. You know, that was the mean. You know, the the production costs fell, but they you know they maintained a, a level. We you know there there are all sorts of of uh, allegations related to. Uh, different price fixing in different industries. Yeah. Those are the things that you want to look at. You know, is is you know, if there is found to be price fixing, if there is found to you know, we see that with the banks too. You know, mm-hmm. the LIBOR stuff. Yeah. You know, where you see that, that's what you should be chasing. Cool, cool, cool. I, I'm worried that that you know we've ended on banks and it's not very, <laughs> it's not, not very nerdy, is it? It's, um, you know, is it? <laughs> well, I think we've pretty much covered new media. Well, yeah. Well, I think we've had so a, I'd say we, to, to yeah. wrap it up on a nerdy note, we'd have to do the five films. Definitely do the five films. Okay, so this this is the the challenge then. Everyone does it. Five films that have meant something to you that you think everybody should watch. They don't have to be the greatest films in the world. Just 
five films that you would recommend to anyone? Well, yeah, I, I'm going to struggle to get down five, so I'll do my best. I'll get, I'll get the first couple that are in my head out of the way. Yeah. The Princess Bride. Yeah, <laughs> marvellous. Right, so yeah, yeah, yeah. there is there is utterly no reason why anyone should not watch The Princess yeah, Bride. Yeah. Totally and <laughs> as, as the years go on, it becomes less and less known. And so every and and actually, I really enjoy that moment of introducing it to people. Yeah. yeah. And when you have a class of twenty or thirty students, and one of them's watched it and sits there smugly in the corner, and then everybody and 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 that person comes up to you at the end and says, "I thought I was the only person in the world that had watched that film." Really. <laughs> so you know that's that's great. Um, yeah, the Princess Bride would be uh, that that was incredible to you know to watch and. It, it you know it just gives it gives yeah. and gives and oh, gives no matter what you yeah. uh, circumstance you're in. Uh, films that mean something to me, so you know I'm going to be incredibly obvious now, but I'll I'll make the point. Uh, when I was, I must have been eighty three, so I must have been six, uh, or maybe seven. Uh, because the last of the Star Wars films, you know, of the the original trilogy came out, Return of the Jedi came out, and the Savoy in Andover, where I grew up, had a screening of all three films. And my uncle, who, bless him, has passed away uh, several years ago, but um, he took me to see them, and he bought me a Twix at the start of the first film, and I sat and it just melted over my hand. I never, I just could not look away. <laughs> I had seen Star Wars, I had not seen Empire Strikes Back, and I had not seen Return of the Jedi, and I just could not look away. And this thing just turned into a ball of, of chocolate over my hand. So in terms of a meaningful moment yeah. in my life, that would be a meaningful moment in my life. Uh, now, now we're going to struggle. Um, uh, oh yeah, no, that'd be an interesting one. So, in terms of academically, that made a difference to me. Uh, Eisenstein's *The Strike*, which is a nineteen twenties Russian film that was uh, after *Battleship Potemkin*. Right. His next film was was that, and it was about you know revolution and you know the workers rising up. And it's the first use of montage, or he was, you know, he used, he, he tended to use allegory within his imagery. So you would have quite a lot of, if you've ever seen, um, <laughs> yeah, you'll look this up online now, um, the, uh, the workers and the milk making machine, uh, which is, <laughs> is an incredible uh, public access Russian film that he made with state funding. That when you look at it now, it's so Freudian. It's it's just untrue. With with Russian peasants exclaiming in joy as white fountains of milk erupt around them. Um, yeah, the, you know that is yeah, that is that is something. But he, yeah, he was very into his, his his sort of allegory in in visuals. And the strike has a moment where the workers are revolting, and there is then uh, it's it's juxtaposed with. Um, I think it's with a uh, a dead cow or something like that. It's juxtaposed with a, a scene that doesn't fit, and that you know is to to create you know the idea of the dying state you know and so on. So it was actually it was very meaningful because then I understood montage you know because you know 
didn't need Team America back then. I understood <laughs> montage. Um, so yeah, so that was that was meaningful to me. Uh, oh dear. Okay, so now we're into into the last two. So we're probably going to have to pick some things that are. Okay, so if we go back to um, to childhood meaningful formatives. Transformers the movie. Oh, oh yes. the original Hell cartoon. Yes. yes. That oh, was, yeah. That was the first you ever the film touch. I saw at the cinema. <laughs> Which I ever saw and, it, and it was one of those it was one of those films that you you know that I watched that stayed you know that, that stayed with me and I then revisited when I was older. Yeah. Um, and there are you know you know it's Orson Welles' last film now. I was I was a member of or you know I was I was visiting the trans fans website which used to run you know all the the transformer stuff long before michael bay got involved mm. long before dreamwave got involved and you know and re you know sort of rehash things as g1 and what have you um and you know that that was just incredibly iconic to me bar week runner week nitty bomb uh, and i had the cd i had the cd of the the soundtrack as well and you know and i'm sure that was so sad to you know, to be listening to Dare, one of the most unfortunate things, Rodimus Prime. Yeah. <laughs> you, but you didn't realise. No, God, you no. Didn't care, <laughs> no, no, you didn't realise. Okay, so I'm down to one. Right. Ah, oh, dear. God, reaching now. Okay. Um. Uh, yeah. Okay. A slightly left field choice means something to me personally because I think when I watched it I just saw something of myself in it which was really weird at the time and I, I don't know I don't know if it's prefer you know if, if it's born out or anything else but I think it was just the the frustration of trying to understand what it is to to have a meaningful life Jerry Maguire yeah, which okay. is a really really you know very left field sort of mm. um and actually, you know, I, I'm not going to be a sports agent ever in my life. Yeah. I appreciated the humour of it. I thought it was hilarious in that regard. But it was actually, it was something about the character in the way in which he tried to live up to yeah. his statement. Yeah. And that, to me, actually is something that I think uh, in life, I think if you are trying to be a good person your own statements become you know sometimes they can be badges of honor sometimes they can be uh they can be heavy and they weigh on you yes. particularly if you you know if you're that kind of person and i am that kind of person who says this is how i am you know you know and i i've said it many times if i you know I, i'll express my opinions forcibly and if someone tells me i'm wrong and they tell me i'm wrong and they explain it really well i will express just how how right they are and how wrong I was just as forcefully as I would express it in the first place but you know sometimes that's hard to live to you know and Mm. sometimes it's hard to live to when you know when you're writing creative work and people crit it and you know and I I value criticism I really value criticism but we all have confidence we all have morale and it's all you know sometimes it's hard so so yeah I think Jerry Maguire kind of you know Oh, gross point blanks now come to mind. Uh, oh. That's one of mine. <laughs> that is one of mine. Cracky, we watched that the other day. Uh, Love it. Uh, cool. Excellent choices. I think we should wrap it up there. <laughs> Okie dokie. Thanks everyone for listening. I've been Brendan. I've been Spindles. 
And I've been here. And until next time, take care and be excellent to each other. Thank <laughs> you.